You're listening to the Murder Speaks Podcast, the show that spills the tea about true crime. Here's your host, Wendy Hinbest. planning to hang out with some friends or go to the gym and you don't know what to wear even though your closet is full and your drawers are so stuffed that they won't shut you feel like you have nothing to wear and you're so bored of all of your clothes this is why crystal kiss offers a wicked selection of true crime merch to bring your wardrobe to life from hoodies leggings and t-shirts to joggers crop tops and tank tops crystal kiss has you covered Offered in so many designs, Crystal Kiss can make you stand out and feel dazzled. Make a fashion statement with Crystal Kiss. Check out crystalkiss.com today. Hey, welcome back to Murder Speaks. I hope everyone's having a great week. So if you want access to bonus Murder Speaks episodes, follow me on Patreon. I left the link in the show notes. So today's real crime story is about Betsy Faria of Troy, Missouri. I hope I'm saying the name correctly. She has two daughters, Leanne and Mariah. And she was a DJ. She loved music and she loved to dance. In 1988, she met Russ Faria. And they got married in January of 2001. He enjoyed being a father to Betsy's daughters. In 2009, Betsy was diagnosed with breast cancer. And she had a mastectomy. And that was emotionally draining for her. She suffered with depression from time to time. And she was suicidal sometimes. But she had a lot of support. One of her good friends was Pam Hupp. They met when they worked together at State Farm. And they had been friends for a few years. Pam would go to chemo treatments with Betsy. And a year later, Betsy was cancer-free. Betsy was so happy and she wanted to celebrate. She planned a celebration of life cruise and invited all of her friends. However, when she got back from the cruise, she found out she had cancer and it was in her liver and it was stage four. The doctors told her she had a few more years to live. On Tuesday, December 27th, Betsy went to her chemo session like normal. Her husband had a game night with his friends. After her chemo session, Betsy planned to go to her mother's house for a short visit. And her friend Pam Hupp was going to take her home. A little bit after 9 p.m., Russ drove home after his game night. And when he got home, he found his wife dead. He thought she killed herself. He called 911. Lincoln County 911, what is the location of your emergency? Oh, God. There was a large amount of blood around her head. She had been stabbed multiple times, and there was a black handle kitchen knife sticking out of her neck. She had defensive wounds on her hands, and she had injuries on her thumb. One of her arms was cut nearly to the bone. There was blood spatter on the couch, and an ottoman was out of place. A throw rug was on the living room floor, and the corner of the rug was pulled up over itself, which indicated she was fighting. 
the police talked to her husband, Russ. I got off at five, and a little bit after five, I left, because I always go in and visit my friends on Tuesdays. And, but on the way there, I called her, it was about 15 after or 5.30, and I asked her if she needed a ride on my way home. And she said no, that her friend was going to bring her home. And who? Hub, H-U-P-P, went over to Mike's house. We watched uh, Conan and then part of some other movie that was kind of weird. And like midway through that movie, well, some other friends came over too, uh, Brandon and Marshall. And uh, midway through that movie, I just, I was tired. It was about nine o'clock, it was time to go, so I left. Started heading home, but I was hungry, so I stopped at uh, Arby's and got a couple sandwiches. Deed on the way home and came straight home from there. I was putting the dog food down and taking my jacket off when I saw saw, saw Betsy. I don't know where where to start understanding why this happened to your wife. Do you have any, have you wrapped your head around it and, and really tried to understand? No. Do you think she could have walked in and somebody would have been in the house or what? I mean, what are you thinking? She would say, you know, hey, when I'm gone, you know, take care of this or that, or, you know, make sure the girls are taken care of. Apparently, Betsy wanted the proceeds of her life insurance split between her two daughters. The police discovered that Leah was a little rebellious, and she was living with her aunt. Mariah is 17, and what's the other one? Leah, she's 21. What's the reasoning behind Leah living with her aunt? Leah is got problems and when we were on vacation she stole a bunch of money from her grandmother and has leah stolen from your wife before too she's stolen checks back a few months ago her and her boyfriend was trying to get in the house and me and betsy wanted home and i called police because they don't need to be breaking in the house you had the most knowledge just uh, the last few hours of your life as much as i hate to put it that way Truth be it, what it is. The police spoke to Leah. Betsy and Leah had a rocky relationship. On the morning of December 28, 2011, investigators questioned Leah and her aunt about their whereabouts the night before. Leah and her aunt went to the phone store, and they called Betsy several times, but she didn't answer. The police questioned Pam Hupp because she was the last one who drove her home. Pam told police that she dropped Betsy off at home from her mother's house. Time was approximately 0642 hours. And can you state your last name, Wolf's please? Huh, H-U-P-P. And your first name? Pam. You dropped her off yesterday? Mm-hmm. You dropped her off from where? What were from mother's house. Okay. So I walked her up to the door and in until she can get a light on. She wanted me to stay and watch the movie till Russ got home and I was like, I can't. She told police that Pam's husband, Russ, was abusive to her and that Betsy wanted to make Pam the beneficiary and she wanted Pam to give her daughters the money. He's kind of not nice verbally to her, you know, so he makes us uncomfortable sometimes. Have you heard him not be nice to her verbally? Oh, yeah. He's kind of, um, he's kind of pompous. He makes comments about how much money he'll have after she's gone because he's got life insurance on her at work. She's got life insurance. She did say that 
The last weekend she was with him, that he started playing this game of putting a pillow over her face. He was getting really creepy and kind of making her nervous with like the pillow or like she'd turn around and he just would be staring at her. Did you ever say anything specific as far as insurance went or other concerns that she had about what she was leaving for Russell or? Yes, absolutely. She said, um, I'm gonna make you the beneficiary if you could, when my daughters are older, give them some money. I said, okay, well, how much is it for? $150,000. She was real freaked out about him getting all this money. According to the autopsy, Betty was stabbed about 55, 56 times. Most of the stab wounds were done post-mortem, which indicated rage. She had seminal fluid both inside and outside of her body, and it pointed to Russ Faria. When Russ was questioned by the police, he said the last time he was intimate with Betty was four days before her autopsy. But would Betsy still have seminal fluid on the outside of her body four days later? The police also learned that Russ had a mistress during Betsy's chemotherapy treatments. The police questioned Russ's mistress. We went back and forth about this a lot. Okay. About you can't have us both. You have to, you can't be playing me. My heart's in it too. Your heart's in it. Her heart's definitely in it. This is not a game, Russ. You called him up and said, Russ, I really need to talk to you on a mission. What do you think he would say? He okay, where are we going? Let's go now. Right now, let's go. So the biggest obstacle was that he was with his wife still. That's why I told him, you know, you need to be happy. You need to work that out if that's what you're doing. Russ kept playing games, you know, oh, I'll call you this weekend or whatever. And I was just like, you know what? have a good life, you know, I, I'm, I'm done. January 3rd, 2012, the forensic team went back to the crime scene six days after the murder, and they discovered there was blood evidence and the kitchen was cleaned up. There was illumination on the faucet handle and on the drawer that contained dish towels. No other drawers were opened. But because it was like six days after the murder, the crime scene had been contaminated. Investigators felt that only somebody familiar with the house would know what drawer to open. On January 4th, 2012, the prosecution got a warrant for Russ's arrest. I mean, the only real evidence against him was a pair of his slippers found in the house that appeared to have been dripped in Betsy's blood. Russ's cousin hired Joel Schwartz to represent him and advised him to look closely at Pam Hupp, who had been acting strangely. At the 2013 trial, Joe Schwartz was barred from introducing Pam Hupp as a suspect. At the 2013 trial, Joel Schwartz was barred from introducing Pam Hupp as a suspect. The judge ruled that none of the issues surrounding Pam Hupp qualified as a direct connection to the murder. And all the photographs that were taken were lost. Russ's lawyer never got a copy of those pictures. But Russ had an alibi. I mean, he was playing games with his friends when the murder took place. And the four friends Russ had watched movies with testified to his whereabouts that night. As did video surveillance from stops he made and an Arby's receipt found in his car. He left the house at 9 p.m. and he had an Arby's receipt time-stamped 9.09 p.m. from an Arby's restaurant down the street. 
But investigators believed that Russ raced home from Arby's, killed Betsy, and cleaned up before calling 911. That just sounds ridiculous. Detectives did the drive and timed it. They were able to get back to Russ's house in 24 minutes. But according to the computer expert who tracked Russ's cell phone, Russ didn't get home that evening until after 9.35 p.m. If you're looking for true crime merch with a great fit and feel, look no further. Crystal Kiss has a wide selection of clothes to brighten up your wardrobe. I like to wear clothes that make a fashion statement and says something about me. Like, our true crime and chocolate design describes me very well. I love chocolate and I love watching true crime, so they go hand in hand. Our hoodies are so soft and can be paired with one of our true crime joggers to make a super comfy outfit. Our true crime t-shirts fit true to size and last several washes. For our night out, throw on a pair of heels with one of our true crime leggings and a crop top. Whatever you're doing, Crystal Kiss has you covered. You people in the US get free shipping when you order three or more items. You can also use discount code MURDER15, that's MURDER15, and save 15% off your entire order. Check out our wicked selection of true crime merch today at crystalkiss.com. And the 911 call came approximately 9.41 p.m. I mean, it would take more than five, six minutes to kill Betsy, clean up, and take a shower, and then call 911. I remember watching this case in the show The Thing About Pam, and I was like, is this for real? <laughs> then the prosecutors felt that Russ's friends helped Russ kill Betsy. That while his friends were playing games, Russ rushed home and killed Betsy, and that he stopped at Arby's to establish an alibi. Russ was convicted of murdering Betsy and was sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole. Then, Russ's lawyer received the 132 pictures, even though he was told during the trial that the camera malfunctioned and none of the pictures were developed. The pictures didn't match the statements that were made during the trial by the officer. There was no evidence of tremendous cleanup or blood trail. It appeared to be perjury. Those pictures were not given to the defense. Nobody knew who sent those pictures to Russ's defense attorney, Joel Schwartz. After Russ's conviction, Betsy's daughters asked Pam Hupp for their mother's life insurance money. But Pam decided to keep the money for herself. Betsy's family was furious and decided to take her to civil court to try and get the money for Betsy's daughters. Days before Russ's trial, Pam was told to create a trust for Betsy's daughters by the police so she wouldn't be considered a suspect. Like I explained to you on the phone, we're getting closer to the trial date, okay? Um, and needless to say, um, one of the biggest hurdles that we need to overcome is any kind of doubt that can be created by the defense. The insurance policy. Insurance policy. Huge in this case, obviously. Um, the biggest doubt that they're going to try to create is that you, a week prior to her murder, wound up in being the benefactor of $150,000 in cash. Mm -hmm. You now have this money and have not turned any of this money over to the family or the kids. That's correct. That's a huge problem. And so I really hate to say it, wanted money, my mom's worth a half a million that I get when she dies. My mom is dementia and doesn't have the time to know who we are. Right. If I really wanted money, there was an easier way than trying to combat somebody that's physically stronger than me. I'm just saying. I'm not suggesting you murdered Betsy Free. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that they're going to suggest that you may have had something to do with the planning or the 
that a conspiracy to commit that murder because of your financial windfall, okay. which either way, like I said, it helps obviously if that trust is going to be set up for the girls before it the trial. And I told you that at the first phone call. Sure. She created the trust a week before trial and defunded the trust a week after trial. Now, because there was nothing in writing saying Betsy wanted the money to go to her daughters, they lost in civil court, and Pam was able to keep the money. Then, Pam claimed she and Betsy were lovers. According to Pam, Russ was very angry about it. The defense lawyer filed an appeal, and a new trial was granted in late 2015. After spending nearly four years in jail, and after the second trial, Russ was acquitted of all charges. The judge felt this investigation was poorly done and raised more questions than answers. After Russ got out of jail, he collected on outstanding insurance policies and tried to put his life together again. But then, nine months later, August 16, 2016, Pam Hupp called 911 in the middle of the day in O'Fallon, Missouri, claiming somebody was breaking into her house and she shot them. 911, where's your emergency? Hey, hello, there's someone broken in my house. Help. What's Help. the address you're at? No. Well, you need to give you what we did to your wife? No, I'm not getting in the car with you. No. Get what's away. your address? Get out. Get out. Get out. Who broke into your home? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Help. Help. Help me. Help me. Please, somebody. She claimed that she was out running errands all day, and when she got home, she went inside to take care of her dog. Then she came out of the house and got into her car. She was backing out of the driveway, and somebody jumped on her car and had a knife. She said she was able to distract him and slap the knife out of his hand. Then she ran, and he chased her into the house, and then they got into a struggle inside of the house. She went in her bedroom and got a gun and shot him five times. The guy she shot was Louis Gumpenberger. The police talked to Louis's mother, and they learned that years earlier, Louis had been in a car accident that left him physically and mentally challenged. He had the mental capacity of a 12-year-old and the physical capability of an 80-year-old, and he walked with a limp. He didn't run. He didn't have the capability of doing what Pam said he did and the police found a handwritten letter in Lewis's pocket instructing him to kidnap Pam Hupp and make her turn over Russ's money, Betsy's life insurance payout. Detectives asked Pam to go to the station. Hey, listen, listen. And on the financial aspect of the free stuff and where all that stands mm -hmm. now. Um, she had signed over me as beneficiary, and I was paid out. How much? $150,000. Okay. The girls tried to sue me for the money, though they've never been beneficiary. Russ was the beneficiary. Okay. And um, they lost. Okay. But at that trial, Russ was there. He just got out. So he had, he had just been released when you went back to trial for the daughters? Mm -hmm. Okay. So he knew the cash story. Okay. And he knew, because he was sitting behind us at the trial, that I still had the money. First, I didn't even know what the hell he was talking about. And at one point, he had said the money you stole from Russ. Then the police questioned Russ. The police took Russ's phone for three days so they can examine his phone. They also analyzed his handwriting, both left and right. 
The police searched Pam's car, and there was a knife in the car, just like Pam said. However, police also found a receipt from a store, and one of the purchases was a knife. The police went to that store, and the knife matched the one found in Pam's car. So Pam bought the knife she said the intruder brought. The police listened to the 911 call again, and the recording seemed staged. Then a Rolling Meadows resident had an encounter with Pam. Her name was Carol. She was at home and stepped outside to let her dog go to the bathroom when Pam Hupp pulled up in front of her house. Carol thought it was a new neighbor, so she went to say hello. Pam told Carol that she was a producer with Dateline and that they were recording sound bites of 911 calls. And if she did it, they would give her $1,000 cash. She told Carol that if she helped them, she couldn't bring her cell phone, keys, wallet, or cigarettes because the producer didn't like clutter. Carol was suspicious, but she went with Pam. But then two minutes later, she just felt that something wasn't right. So she told Pam that she had to go back home because her front door wasn't shut properly. When they got back to her house, Pam realized Carol had cameras. She slowly backed out of her driveway and Carol called 911. My name is Carol McAfee. I had been living in the Rolling Meadows mobile home neighborhood for approximately 10 or 11 years. And I had just stepped outside to let my dog go to the restroom. When they black GMC Acadia pulled up to my house and this lady sat there and stared at me. We had some new homes get moved in down the street. So I just figured maybe she was a new neighbor. So I went down there and I looked at her and I said, can I help you? And she went into, oh, well, I'm a producer. I work for Dateline, and we're recording sound bites of 911 calls. And if you do it, we're going to give you $1,000 cash, no paper trail back to Uncle Sam. She says, if you help us, you can't bring your keys, your wallet, your cell phone, or your cigarettes because the producer doesn't like clutter. The red flags were flying up. I kind of knew she was full of it, but I pretended I believed her to try to figure out what she was up to. At that point, I just told her that I left my front door unlocked, and it didn't stay shut. And if my husband's dog got out, he'd kill me. She's like, okay, but you gotta hurry. When we pulled up into my driveway, she started to get out of her car. Then she looked up and realized, like, right in front of her face was my security camera. She says, you have cameras. I was like, yeah, I do. And she slowly drove out of my driveway like it wasn't a big deal. And then I dialed the police department. The police viewed Carol's security footage, and they realized it was Pam Hupp. The police realized that Lewis is dead because Pam told him to act like he was breaking into her house and she was trying to do the same thing with Carol. She wanted 911 to hear it. The police felt the note found was written by Pam. The police arrested Pam. They started to read her Miranda rights and she said she wanted her lawyer. She asked to go to the bathroom. A female officer took her to the bathroom and a couple of minutes later there was no sound. So the female officer knocked on the door and still nothing. So the female officer went in the bathroom and found Pam lying on the floor with blood coming out of her neck and her wrist. She stabbed herself with a ballpoint pen. During the investigation, Pam stated that she was going to get $500,000 from her mother's life insurance policy. Then, two years after Betsy's death, Pam's mother fell off the third floor balcony from her retirement community. The last person with her was Pam Hupp, and Pam told the staff that her mother wouldn't be down for breakfast or dinner. There was eight times the legal limit of ambient found in her mother's system. Joe Schwartz had been getting anonymous phone calls, alerting him 
to discrepancies in Pam Hupp's testimony during the first trial where she had been called as a prosecution witness. She claimed her mother had recently died of Alzheimer's, but Joe Schwartz discovered that her mother had, in fact, likely been pushed out a window to her death. Pam was again the life insurance beneficiary. Pam Hupp was charged and sentenced to life. She was also charged with the 2011 murder of Betsy Faria and is currently awaiting trial. Well, this is crazy. I mean, I remember watching this in the thing about Pam and saying, oh my gosh, he had an alibi. Like he had, he had a strong alibi. Everybody who was with him vouched for him. He was on video and he still got arrested. He still spent time in jail for something he didn't do. And that's just crazy. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode of Murder Speaks. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like it, please share it. Sharing is caring. Check out my YouTube channel, Murder Speaks, for more real crime stories. And remember, if you want to get access to bonus podcast episodes, follow me on Patreon. Join me again on Murder Speaks. Thanks. Bye.